BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Yeah, there's another keyword, and this is the last day. It's coming up at 320, so we have a chance at 320, 420, and 520. Hang in there for the word and follow the instructions to possibly win $1,000. The 5 o'clock hour will also bring us a Bonanza Moist Line, people. Very exciting. We play those calls at 520 and 550 here on the John and Ken Show. Well, the uh, council district that John Cobelt lives in, and it's quite a vast one, Council District 11, Pacific Palisades all the way down to LAX, coastal. And you think about that, like a community like Venice uh, is included in that. And of course, a lot of communities along the west side that are part of the city of Los Angeles. Mike Bonin's finally gone after a recall effort. He decided to, even though the recall effort was not successful, according to the L.A. City Clerk's Office, he decided to pack it in and not run for another term. So uh, his appointed uh, acolyte ran instead as a man by the name of Aaron Darling. But uh, Tracy Park was apparently the winner in this race. So today is celebration day. The Mike Bonin era is dead. And let's get Tracy on. Tracy, congratulations. (laughs) Hi, guys. Thank you so much. I have a small bottle of champagne here. Because I had said a while back that uh, the day that Mike Bonin is done, that I am going to celebrate on the air. So let me see if I can pop this. Oh, it's a screw top. Ah! Very good, Eric. Yeah, it's high end. I probably would have blinded myself. There we go. So this is a toast to you, Tracy. Congratulations. Cheers. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's really exciting times. Yeah. You know, we met, I don't know if you remember, briefly at another event in Venice. There was somebody who was trying to put together a slate of candidates to run in the elections, and, and, and you were there. And and you were introduced to me, and uh, you know, I never know if I'm meeting you know a whack job or somebody who's really got <laughs> something going for them. But I met you, and you said you were going to be running, you know, for Bond and C. And I thought, all right, she's a normal person, she's real. And first thing I wondered is, are, are people on the west side going to going to elect a normal person? <laughs> because you talked, you talked plainly, you talked like everybody does, not the way politicians do if you know what i mean uh-huh and i i, I imagine that you were you were really refreshing to a lot of the people you met on the campaign trail yeah yeah well i do remember the night that we met and as i recall that was you know before i had ever even official officially launched the campaign and you know i have 
try to always be my true authentic self. And I think that it was refreshing uh, to a lot of voters here on the West side to finally have a candidate who is just an everyday normal West side resident like them um, who shares their concerns, who has lived through these same experiences with them. And I think that that just sort of shared you know, common experience was something that was refreshing and appealing to a lot of people. And that's something that I'm going to carry forward with me into my new role leading our district on the city council. Did you always want to run for political office or was there something about the last few years where you thought, I've got to do something? (laughs) I mean, somebody (laughs) has to do something here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had not run for office since student council in 10th grade. Um, And so, you know, I was really coming into this with no political experience. And to answer your question, you know, no, this is not something that I ever imagined that I would do. It was not something that, you know, I had, you know, been planning for in my life or in my career. But living here in Venice, I had a front row seat for a very long time to what the effects of just horribly failed policies and approaches look like and the impact that they had in the community. And there was a lot that was sort of going on in the background in 2020 and 2021 with just the massive spike in crime and the fires and the encampments. And you may recall that Mike Bonin had filed a motion to use our beaches and parks as Siding for homeless shelters. Yes. And I thought to myself at the time, wow, does Councilmember Bonin even want this job? Because as far as I could tell, it really succeeded at nothing but uniting the entire district against him. And so, you know, he had in March filed to run for his third term and he was beginning to raise money. And the chatter around the district at the time was, where are the candidates who is going to step up and do this? And so, I was approached about it, and after giving it some thought, you know, I realized that I had a certain skill set and background that could be useful in the position. I realized that the community needed help and was asking for my help, and at that point, I really felt as though I had no other choice but to take this on. You know, you're right. That was the moment when he decided that he was going to turn the parks, and especially the Will Rogers State Beach parking lot, into a massive homeless encampment, you could almost feel it. I mean, everybody on the west side that I knew of, everybody got pissed off at the same time. And that was the breaking point. That was like, okay, enough is enough. Now you're, now they're going to take over the beaches and the parks and it's going to be sanctioned by the government. No. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it really was a moment where the entire district came together. And I think for a long time, you know, as long as the issues were concentrated in Venice and not impacting other parts of the district, you know, people kind of turned away from it. But as the problems really began to percolate in other parts of the district, I saw something happen that I had never seen on the West Side before. And that was the every neighborhood coming together. There were folks from the Pacific Palisades caravanning down to Westchester Park to see what was going on there. There were folks from the Venice community showing up at neighborhood and community council meetings around the district to talk about what had happened here in Venice and, you know, to to warn them what would happen 
if this was allowed to continue in their neighborhoods. And I just, I, I really sensed that there was a shift in the way the district felt and in the political climate. And I thought, you know, if there was ever an opportunity for someone like me to step in and to try to change the direction that we're going and frankly, right the ship on this, now is the time to do it. And um, those early instincts proved to be right. What did you think of Bonin never adjusting his approach or his policy right up to the end? He was insisting that it was okay to have homeless encampments in front of elementary schools, like directly in front of them. He was against that 500 foot ban, which isn't much of a ban to begin with, but at least it's 500 feet. I, 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 I don't know. I, w- I was shocked that just for self-preservation, he, d- he didn't give up an inch. Yeah, you know, I to me, it was always a no-brainer that protecting kids and ensuring that they have safe passage on their way to and from school needed to be a priority. Um, you know, I think I've said this to you before. I'm, I'm not the Mike Bonin whisperer, and I, I, I can't understand his reasoning on some issues. So, you know, that to this day remains a head-scratcher for me. Um, but, you know, that was something that I actively campaigned on and was a stark contrast between me and my opponent in the race. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the voters here on the West Side have sent a very clear message that they expect our communities to be safe, that they expect places like parks and libraries and schools and daycares to be safe and accessible for all members of our community. And, you well, know, that, I that's, mean, that's what shot me about your opponent, Aaron Darling, is he wasn't giving an inch either. He thought the ban against encampments in front of schools was wrong. And I was looking at that. It's like, how could you possibly run for office on homeless encampments in front of elementary schools? How does, <laughs> how does that occur to somebody? And he was following through with it. He was adamant. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I said, I, 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 that is a position that just doesn't make any sense to me fundamentally. And at the end of the day, the majority of people on the West Side agree. Well, let me ask you this. Karen Bass is mayor, not Rick Caruso. And we played a clip yesterday from her speech in front of her supporters that on the issue of homelessness, everybody's going to have to chip in. We can't just build in the low-income communities. Now, your district is probably one of the wealthier ones, if not the wealthiest one, of the council districts in Los Angeles. Uh, how do you think working with her uh, on this homeless problem is going to go for you? Um, you know, I think it's, it's going to go fine. At the end of the day, every, every candidate that ran that was successful is coming into City Hall with a mandate to address homelessness with the compassionate urgency that the circumstances demand. And so I look forward to working with our, our new mayor and addressing these, these issues. And I think that she's at, frankly right. We are going to have to come to the table with solutions and the West side is going to be a part of those. You know, I have a lot of work cut out for me because the problem has been so horribly mis- mismanaged and mishandled here on the West Side. Um, but I know that there are ways that we can do this that are respectful to existing communities and host neighborhoods. I know that there is a way to do this through real engagement and community collaboration. And I know that it needs to be done with a focus on the different types of needs and levels of acuity and demographics of the populations that we're trying to serve. 
And we've just frankly never gotten that granular in how we're approaching this issue. So I know this is going to be challenging, and I know that, you know, there's always going to be different views and opinions about how we get where we need to go. But I welcome the opportunity to lead our district through that work ahead. Well, good luck. I mean, you're coming in a chaotic time for the L.A. City Council with this whole scandal over the racist uh, conversation. But on top of that, there are now three Democrat socialists on that council. And we've run up against them, uh, Nithya Raman. I mean, they were like Mike Bonnet on the issue of homelessness. So uh, you're going to have your work cut out for you there with those three. I, I am. And, you know, I think it's interesting that the new council is shaping up the way that it is. Um, there may be some folks that I don't agree with on every issue, but I also am excited about and I welcome the opportunity to get to know them and to look for the places where we do agree on things and where there's common ground. And I will lead from and work with them from and on those issues. So, you know, there's a a lot of uh, challenges ahead, but a lot of opportunity for us to come together as a city to do, you know, the work that needs to be done to make our city safer and more accessible for, for everyone. And despite different ideological views of those of us coming in, I know that we can unify and get the things done that we need to do. All right, Tracy. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations. and thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. Feel free to reach out anytime, guys. All we right, will. Tracy Park, the new city council person for CD11, which is the west side that's been ruled by Mike Bonin for years. It's John Cobalt's district. And did you drink your champagne? I'm, I'm just about to. Okay. Oh, I don't hear any bubbles. Wow, that's got an interesting flavor. <laughs> okay. Hmm. <laughs> All right, we got more coming up. Your chance at money. I can't describe it. Uh, all right. We'll work <laughs> on much, it during the how break. How much did that cost you? <laughs> did you get it for like Skid Row? 17 bucks. $17. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. It's just I, it's not, but I, I like it. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. No, I like it. Wow. $17 for that little thing? Yeah. So that's probably expensive champagne. Must be. Yeah. All right. right. Keyword is next for your chance to win some money. John and Ken, KFI AM640, live everywhere in the iHeartRadio app. See, I wouldn't know good champagne. <laughs> Well, at least you broke out the nice paper cup. Yeah, right. That's another little quirk uh, perk there. Well, John, you may also want to lift that glass of champagne again because it looks like we might be seeing the end of Twitter. (laughs) Hold on. I'll have another swig. Before too long, Elon Musk might be the only employee left. (laughs) Elon Musk, of course, bought the company a while back for a huge price tag. They are down to 2,500 employees. Now, how many employees they had at the end of October, which isn't even a month ago? 7,500. Yeah. 1,200 full-time employees just quit. They chose not to opt in to Elon Musk's Google form that they had to sign, agreeing to participate in his extremely hardcore version of Twitter, which, as we mentioned, would result in really long work days. and uh, 12-hour days, seven days a week. Over 80 hours a week is what he expected. And if you didn't do it, and you didn't do it in a high-intensity style, go. Don't want you. According to Business Insider, resignations included Twitter's payroll department, its U.S. tax team, and its financial reporting team. All walked out the door. They're also apparently short of software engineers. Musk sent out an email this morning Anyone who can actually write software, meet him at Twitter today at 2 p.m. 
<laughs> sounds funny, doesn't it? Help! Now, um, <laughs> you and I have no love lost for Twitter. Oh, no. Uh, no. Elon Musk is such a bizarre character. This is kind of fascinating to watch. <laughs> of course, people are calling it tragic because it really is a global town square, and we need Twitter yeah, for, for an exchange of ideas. For progressives to exchange ideas with each other. I, and nobody else is allowed. Everybody else gets censored, right? Well, uh, you know, it's impossible to, to figure him out because he's, he's, you know, he's obviously genius, and he's also kind of a prankster clown. And but was so, he so angry with Twitter? He decided to use his money to buy the company so he could sink it. Well, that's forty-four <laughs> or, billion dollars, or tear it down and build it back up into something else. Might be what's going on here. Uh, yeah, I guess he, you he, have to get rid of these people if you, uh, they're part oh, of the swamp, right? You have to know that if you're going to force them to work eighty-five hours a week, that a lot of them are going to say no, especially this class of employees, which are you know coddled millennials, right? And in fact, they were upset. Because they, they used to, uh, Twitter used to give them all free gourmet lunches every day. And, and Musk canceled that a little while ago. And they were, they were peeing in their panties over, over that uh, lost perk. Oh, I love this part. Employees flooded the hashtag social hyphen water cooler channel with the salute emoji. That indicates they've chosen not to sign Musk's pledge. These are toddlers with college degrees who I, it's the most entitled bunch I've ever seen in my life. And they communicate in emojis like little children. Did you, you know, hear that? That was apparently true at FTX, the yeah. bankrupt uh, Bitcoin exchange or cryptocurrency exchange company that they often approve things with emojis. That was kind of their they, internal they, way of yeah, okaying they, expenses. They speak in emojis, which, you know, I remember one of my sons when he was like two or three years old, he loved little stickers. We'd go to the drugstore and you could buy a oh, roll. Oh, yeah, kids love stickers. A roll of stickers. I used to buy my nieces and nephews sticker books. Right, and then he would be putting stickers all over the place, right? And they could be like little little trains. Smiling faces. Little right. Smiley faces, airplanes, animals, whatever he was into that day. And we, we finger. Go, we'd go to the... <laughs> And that's what these these Twitter people remind me of is is like little kids putting their favorite new little sticker all over their all over their communications right over all their but I was social just media reading messages. a story like a few weeks ago that you're old if you use emojis now hip young people don't use emojis but I, I guess at Twitter they still do I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's got kids about my kids ages and. My kids grew up a little later, or I should say, yeah, later than the crowd at Twitter, right? Yes. And they're different. Um, they, they, they're actually more predatory. They're, they're actually not as silly and not as immersed in social media. That, that is a different generation. And it, it, it's people now, you know, in their mid to late 20s, early 30s. Right. And they are the ones who are the most coddled and the most silly most immature with their little tantrums and into their social justice nonsense and they're going to get run over by generation z i I, that's what i think you know you know how there was there was a generation in between the greatest generation that fought world war ii and the baby boomers it was called the silent generation and it was distinctive because up until biden they had never produced a president like we had a lot of baby boomer presidents. We had a lot of greatest generation presidents who shut, who performed in World War II. But 
up until Biden, who snuck in at the end. There was nothing from that generation. There, there's something in cultural eras that either produce leaders or greatness, and there are some eras that produce slop. Uh-huh. And, and these people who are resigning from Twitter and leaving behind an angry emoji, they're slop. The next generation behind them are going to rule the world, not this crowd. You, you, you're having a temper tantrum because you're asked to do work or pay for your own lunch. You know, if you're, if you're 30 years old, you're done. You're going nowhere. All right, we got more coming up. Johnny Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere in the iHeartRadio app. And Deborah Mark live in the... Oh, no, no, no. She's, she got sick today. She did. She walks around with all those paper towels on her hands so she doesn't get any germs. Look what happened. Uh, Mark Reiner has the news. 12th annual Pastathon is on because of your generosity. Chef Bruno's charity, Katarina's Club, provides more than 2,500 meals every week to kids in Southern California. Here's how you can help. Donate at pastathon.com or... Shop at any Smart and Final store in California, Arizona, and Nevada and donate a checkout. Neil Saavedra will be at Smart and Final in Orange this Saturday from 2 to 5 at 1401 East Catella Avenue. You can also go to any Wendy's restaurant in Southern California and donate. And Conway's got a live broadcast 6 to 10 on uh, Tuesday, Giving Tuesday, November 29th at the Anaheim White House. 100% of all your donations go to Katarina's Club. Coming up after 4 o'clock, they probably were stabbed while they were asleep. That's the latest on the University of Idaho students who were killed in their off-campus home. We will talk to uh, Alex Stone, ABC News, for anything else we've been able to learn about this horrendous and really mysterious crime. Yesterday we learned that uh, it was a military-style knife that apparently was used to kill them. And, of course, we learned that there were two other roommates in the house who probably were sleeping, too, and they were not targeted. So all of this is coming up after 4 o'clock. Well, he's 86 years old. We're talking about a man named Lionel Dahmer. Lionel Dahmer is the father of Jeffrey Dahmer. Now that Netflix did their series on the horrors of Jeffrey Dahmer, Dahmer and his life of murdering and sometimes consuming his victims, the father sat down with Dr. Phil It's a three-day special set to air Tuesday. Clips have been obtained by TMZ. It is hard to believe, but Lionel Dahmer believes he could have saved lives. We're going to listen to this clip, and we'll fill you in whatever else is not included in this material. Do you think, in retrospect, that there were red flags there were warning signs that you missed there definitely were warning signs that i missed but i didn't believe it or it's hard to believe it really is i'll give you one example when he was about somewhere in the 11 12 to 14 age range he roamed around the country roads where we lived and gathered on his bike with big plastic bags the remains of various animals, foxes, you know, uh, small dogs, uh, animals that had been killed on the road and took them back home. And ours was extremely heavily wooded lot, a very rough terrain where he did, as I found out later at the time of his so-called insanity trial, found out for the first time there that he did this and he kept these animals and 
felt them, uh, explored them, Ew. their insides, their entrails, and uh, terrible things like that. Although I've had friends who have told me they've done the same sort of thing. What? What? But that would have been a red flag. A red flag? Well, uh, we just have to add this part. Apparently, the father had a taxidermy hobby. So there is some of that involved, right? Oh, in taxidermy, because you, you have to rip the insides out in order to, uh, you know, put up the... Oh, he probably saw his dad, you know, disemboweling animals all his life. Yeah, it got him... So he got a weird... Got him aroused. Fixate. The dad sounds off. The and dad the, is weird. By the way, a taxidermist, that's off, too. Well, hunters like to do it because after they kill their animal, like a bear, yeah. they like to just, you know, make a statue out of it. Well, I know, but you got to take it to the, to the expert guy. So who does that all day? Well, but if you're if you're used to hunting and butchering animals, how hard is it to switch over from just tearing out their insides? Yeah, but, but, you, yeah, but yeah, and then and then recreating it's as if it's living again. Then there's this story. He says he once stumbled across a wooden box that did contain the head of Anthony Sears, who was murdered by Dahmer in 1989. The full story is Jeffrey was staying with Lionel's mother, his grandmother, who resented him keeping his pornography in the Wisconsin house. Several occasions, my mother complained about seeing pornography around the house, recalled Lionel Dahmer. So when I made the visit to Milwaukee, I saw this box in the closet in his room. and I said, I'm going to open it. I started going down to the basement to get a tool to open up the box. I guess it was like a lockbox. And he, he kept complaining, saying, nah, I don't get any privacy. Don't do it. We'll do it later. He said, wait until tomorrow, Dad. And, well, sure enough, he opened it the next day and there was pornography in it. But apparently they discovered later that that's what Dahmer used to do. He would keep the mutilated yeah. body parts in that same box. There, there, there was a head in there. It was mummified. And the guy's genitals were in there, too. So if Dad had just opened the box, he would have found a mummified head and genitals of and a guy. Dahmer was not arrested till 1991, so there were other victims after this 1989 story. So he I, probably I, could have saved some lives. He said, what, what would you have done, Jeff, if, if I had opened it and the jig would have been up? He said, I could have saved more lives now, if I'd done that. Now, listen to this. And this is his dad talking. I thought at some point between 12 and 14, coming out of puberty, his sexual engine was in high drive. And he mm. was touching the insides of this animal. And he sort of got hardwired neurally in connecting, into connecting sexual pleasure with this type of activity. So he was somehow uh, sexually molesting the, the innards of the roadkill that he picked up. Right. Which is about as disgusting as anything I've ever heard. Entrails, insides, bodies. That's the way I thought about it after thinking about it for a while. Why well, Lionel wasn't the sharpest bulb on the tree there. He said he and his son bonded over taxidermy. Now, that's really weird. Well... Fathers and sons often bond over hobbies. <laughs> Woodworking. <laughs> Cleaning out the insides of dead animals and repairing them to make them look lifelike. Um, well, I guess morticians do that with their kids when they get into the family business, right? 
Like they 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 bond. That over, is true. You have to embalm bodies. Yeah, they bond over embalming. Sure. Yeah, that's um. Well, you got to teach your kid how to do it. He's sexual. I mean, I, I had read that Dahmer did kill animals, but I had not read that he was might have been his own roadkill then picking up roadkill and feeling in the insides. Yeah, and then if it was a slow day on the roads, well, did he do that to some of the men he killed? You think reached inside and yes, probably yes, because he was getting a, a sexual thrill from it. Oh, and often serial killers do that. I've read about the serial killers who kill women, women, and sometimes they end the murder with some kind of sexual act almost like as a punctuation when we come back we're hoping that we can stop perhaps a couple more jeffrey dombers we'll explain the story and play it for you sean and ken kfi am 640 live everywhere in the iHeartRadio radio app two words left two keywords one at 420 one at 520 so stand by that's it that's it maybe it'll come back someday but that's it for now on the inflation bonus cash. You'll $1, have $1, to uh, you could win. go back to illegal gambling. The lottery. The lottery. Alex Stone will be long after 4 o'clock. The four students who apparently were stabbed to death in their sleep at their off-campus home, the University of Idaho at a place called Moscow. We'll see what the latest is on that very strange story, which started out saying targeted killing, but now people are saying, uh, yeah, beware, maybe the community is not so safe. Maybe there's a, a a mad psycho, murderous serial killers, right? Right. Yeah. Speaking of psychos, we were just talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. His father was interviewed by Doctor Phil, and feels like he may have made some discovery. But he thought it was just too impossible. I mean, not thought it was impossible. It's just not something you think of that your son is like a serial killer and a cannibal. Um, the and- other story that comes into this was earlier this week. Remember, we talked to the documentary filmmaker for Crazy Cat Lady. Mm-hmm. This is the documentary film about Los Angeles' feral cat population. So now we bring both stories together, and it's a good thing Deborah Mark is out sick today because this is a tough one. This would make her sick. This is a tough one to bear. But if they can catch these two guys, maybe they can stop a future murderer because they say that sometimes these psychos start by torturing and killing animals. Don't they say that? Yeah, well, they do. This is from NBC4 reporter Tony Shin. Let's listen. This is cell phone video taken by Camille Ropich of a stray cat he named Scruffy. Uh, Scruffy started appearing about three months ago. She was sleeping in a little drain uh, right back there. Camille works at CFR Patio, and Scruffy was one of several stray cats that they would feed and provide water. But Scruffy had a special place in Camille's heart. I'm going to take her to the Humane Society. They do a great service for stray cats. He loved her so much, he was planning to bring her home. I would hang out with her on my breaks, my lunch, after work. We'd come here on the weekends with my girlfriend to visit her, just because we were ready to adopt her, but we were just waiting for our landlord to let us know. Tuesday night, around 9.30, surveillance video shows Scruffy in the CFR patio parking lot as a white car approaches. It appears the passenger uses some type of pellet or BB gun to shoot Scruffy. We are blurring part of the attack because it is gruesome. While Scruffy is lying helpless on the ground, two men hop the fence and start taking pictures of Scruffy. You don't think that people actually do that kind of stuff, but they do. Colin Lee's father owns the patio company. He says what happens next is unthinkable because one of the men appears to pull out a knife and starts stabbing Scruffy repeatedly while the other records it. And that's a real, I think, shows that they're really sick people. Killing a cat's not okay, but coming over here and desecrating the body like that is just, it's psychopaths. 
Later, the two men casually walk away and get into their car. The Inland Valley Humane Society is now trying to identify the two people in this video so they can be arrested for felony animal abuse. Camille says he can't watch the video and he is heartsick because he was so close to rescuing Scruffy. He's also afraid of what the cat killers might do next. Who knows, maybe next week they want to shoot a homeless person. Uh, you know, you'd never know how it's going to go. And uh, I really hope they get what's coming to them. Well, they've probably done a lot of this. I mean, if there's, you know, a million or three yeah. million stray cats running around L.A., then, you know, you can kill as many as you want. Nobody's going to notice or care because they don't obviously don't have owners. Uh, so I would figure this is a, a regular activity. Yeah, I mean, video cameras are everywhere now. So that's why we're going to catch things like this that we wouldn't have caught years ago. But you're probably right, these two guys. And at first I thought they might be kids, but they are described as men. Mm -hmm. And they had a car. Well, it's a, it's a, so it's a psychological... This is, this is a night out for them to go over and look for stray animals to kill? It's a psychological compulsion, and they get a thrill out of it. They get a thrill out of overpowering a weak, helpless animal and watching them die. It gives them a sense of accomplishment. They might get sexual gratification out of it. Well, if they're caught, one of them used his own cell phone to record it. It's like that could be nice self-incrimination there. The Humane Society is uh, taking the cat body. That's too bad. Poor Scruffy. Can um, they Can they do, I'm just making this up, a reverse ping on the cell phone? Because wherever you take your cell phone, unless you turn off the location uh, tracker, yeah. um, it, it records where you are after the fact. So if they confiscate somebody's cell phone they can look and see where you were with the cell phone, and they can go through the phone records of uh, the cell phone company and, and track, you know, where you've been. And they, they can use that to tie you to a crime. Yeah, but how would they have any idea that it's these well, two men's cell phone if they don't know who? Well, that's what I'm, does, when, it, when it pings back to the towers yeah. and the information is recorded by... Oh, cell they can see whose like, cell right. phones may have been pinging the towers at that time right. of night, the other night? I don't know if it works that way. Meh. Right now, it looks like it's just an investigation by the Inland Valley Humane Society and the SPCA. I don't know that it's a police investigation. yet. I still think there might be some kind of a crime here for doing this. See, when they get bored with with uh, stabbing and killing cats. Oh, it'll be children or, you yeah. know. Yeah. Something like else. Like that guy said, maybe some homeless person, some other person that's kind of really out of it. They can't they, really fight back. They don't, they don't have any conscience about it. And they're getting pleasure out of this. All right, when we return, our guest will be Alex Stone, ABC News for KFI, with the latest, the surviving roommates in that off-campus house at the University of Idaho where four young people were stabbed to death. There were two others that lived in that house. They were not harmed. They are talking to the police and are very cooperative. It looks like from the latest news that the four who died were stabbed in their sleep. Alex Stone's next. John and Ken, KFI, AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Mark Reiner, live in the 24-hour KFI newsroom. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.